On this week's episode, Bianca and I share our recipes for happy hour, brunch, and gentleman callers. We also get into how our government is broken, and we introduce the Ward and Webster Book Club. This is Ward and Webster. So Bianca, um, welcome. Good to see you again. We are off to a crazy start. So most of the listeners won't hear a whole lot of what just happened because we'll edit it out. But I'm coughing. I'm laughing. I can't do the intro. It's going to be one of those weeks. It is spring. Spring is sprunging. Um, The pollen is thick. (laughs) So I have been sniffling and just, yeah, we are... um, drinking Claritin and Zyrtec in my house at this point. So I don't know, but hopefully the folks will extend some some grace because they gonna get what they get. Spring is my favorite time of year. Um, it's a renewal. Mm-hmm. As you know, I was born in spring. And I think that spring babies are, are, are also a renewal for both the universe and for families. And, and I love it. Now, when we had our production meeting, you were talking about spring cleaning. Is that something you do every no. <laughs> But I am home and I have been in this house for a year now and I am noticing. So let me tell you, my mother, because my mother tracks it, right? So again, my mother lives with me, God bless. Um, but every certain time of every month, I get really nitpicky. So I notice splashes of food that might be on a cabinet, or I notice the baseboards are dirty. Like I just notice everything. And so this year I was, and so usually I'm just cleaning sporadically, but I was like, this year I am doing a spring, some serious spring cleaning. I have made a, a chart, <laughs> And the schedule, spring cleaning is happening Saturday okay. and Sunday from eight to two. I have the list of places and spaces. I have a new, thanks to our friend, Emily. Hey, Emily. Um, I have now a recipe for like a cleaning solution thing that I'm going to use in every corner of my house, bleach, tide, and water. Um, I am ready. <laughs> I bought gloves. <laughs> I have all of the things. But mind you, Saturday morning, I mean, it may come and I might still be in the bed. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, but my intention is to clean, um, to clean my home. Well, you know, a lot of people do that. Like they do a deep clean every spring. And then of course, just their maintenance month to month from there. So it's not unusual. I, as you know, um, I, I feel like I've talked about it too much already on this podcast, but I've moved into you this might as place. well. I swear I won't talk about <laughs> it again us today. Over. <laughs> For the for the housewarming because you have talked about it quite extensively, but we're happy for you. But I'm thinking about myself, like when I when I moved in, it was so pristine, and so I'm now I'm like consumed with thinking about how to keep it nice and clean. And so I might be doing a little wipe down with you. Um, I notice um, some ants in in the bedroom, but nowhere mm. else, which is sort of weird because I would expect mm-hmm. ants in the kitchen. So I'm going to find out what I need to do to run them off because we can't have, we don't want them nibbling. <laughs> Get over your playroom. And other than that, I think I'm good to go. I'm never going to let the playroom go. But you can't um, invite folks over into the playroom with ants. That's, mm-mm, mm-mm. That's They're going to be the first to go. Now I think be. for me, um, 
Yeah, I think it's spring, all the things you said, renewal, cleaning, it's when I get um, pack up all the old clothes to donate, but it is, it is time. Like you just want a fresh start. So I will have the windows open, house music bumping. Cause that's what I like to clean to house music and old reggae, of course. Um, and oh put God. these kids to work. They are low to the ground so they can get these baseboards together. All right. Well, that sounds um, like a good plan. I wish you good luck this weekend on your spring cleaning. Before we move into our first segment, I did want to acknowledge that we just started the season of Aries. It's the first sign of the Zodiac. I am an Aries. We are the leaders of the Zodiac. And at some point on this podcast, we're going to do an entire episode, I assure you, on the Zodiac. But I could not let it pass by acknowledging that the spring equinox is the beginning of Aries, the leaders of the Zodiac. You just said a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I know we will have a whole episode because you, the stars, the Zodiac, your love language, that's where everything aligns for you. Um, I know a lot of Aries. I was thinking about that today. Um, one, uh, so Pisces just wrapped up, um, but just the amount of March babies I know. So I don't know what nine months is before them, but people were busy because March, early April is the time for um, birthdays and reproduction, apparently. So happy birthday. And you're Capricorn, right? I am. Mm. Don't, don't do that. Anywho, so moving right <laughs> along. <laughs> Moving right along into our need to know. So as as Isaiah teased um, in the intro, we are talking about um, cocktails for all occasions, uh, uh, happy hours, brunches, and as you put it, when the gentleman caller comes and knocking. I don't know why I feel like that's the voice. And I, I don't know. I'm I'm married. I don't know gentlemen callers, but <laughs> well, actually, so I when when we were typing this out, I put date night slash gentleman callers because okay, I be was fair. sensitive to the fact that Cliff exists. He's a person. <laughs> He's not a gentleman caller. He is a husband and a father. Yes, um, all of those things. And now that you know spring is sprunging and the world is opening up just to taste, but please, folks. Don't rush it. I don't know. I see people in Miami losing their damn mind, but that's another time. But um, it is happy hour. I feel like I feel like spring summer is like the peak happy hour backyard boogie season. So the right beverages um, just set it off. What's your what's your favorite happy hour after work? What you what you sipping on? So it depends on the seasons, Bianca. So in the when it's colder, I prefer whiskeys and bourbons. And when it's warmer, I prefer rums. And so as we're moving into spring, I'm going to switch from my whiskeys into the rums. And so I like a good pina colada. I like a good rum punch. Like to me, that just puts me in a really good space. I also like just a simple... Uh, Bacardi and ginger ale with a twist of lime or lemon is perfect for like an after work happy hour, I think. So like, that's my go-tos for like after hours, happy hour when, when we're in this time of year. Now, when it gets colder, um, I will switch to bourbon, like a, just, um, just like a, a bourbon simple neat 
or I may do a Manhattan. I'm a, I'm a very old soul when it comes to drinking. And so like old fashions, Manhattan's, like that is, that's really where I get, the, those are my jams. I was going to say, all of those just sound grown. I was about to say elderly, <laughs> but grown. I fully but- acknowledge that, they, that, that it's an acquired, matured drink list. I think, um, so one, I am Jamaican, so rum just period and I drink rum and vodka all year round so the way that you have like your winter beverages and your spring summer no (laughs) I'm not that I'm not that classy so I will say um my go-to my favorite maybe happy hour situation is a Moscow mule because I again love vodka um ginger beer especially a nice strong ginger beer a little flavored vodka to just do a little something um different so that is my happy because I used to be mm, Bianca in her youth (laughs) her young just stepping into the into the club early times um would just drink screwdrivers and I thought I was doing something yes that is the (laughs) thing I would it would just be that when screwdrivers were my club drink. Like I feel yeah. like that is like the introduction drink for every young person. So when I was in college, there was nothing. I mean, we would roll up to that bar. Can I have a screwdriver? And then they would pull out this concentrated orange juice and this like bottom, bottom, bottom shelf vodka. You could barely swallow any of it. And we were wondering why our heads hurt the yeah, next ooh, day. The the tales I could tell, but I won't. <laughs> Of some screwdriver induced shenanigans, but I thought that and like armoretto sours because I thought I was classy again. Ugh. Disgusting. Whenever, so you can tell the age of a person based on what they drink. If someone's yeah. telling you that they're drinking a screwdriver or an armoretto sour, you know that this person is under thirty years old. Under twenty five. I even hope at 25 that the taste buds would change just a little bit. But then at the same time, I also, you know, came up in that era of Alizé. (laughs) Again, another time I thought I was classy. Alizé, Boone's Farm, and Hmm. uh, um, Arbor Mist. (laughs) You couldn't tell me nothing. Oh my God, I had forgotten about Arbor Mist. Before I knew like what wine was, I think Arbor Mist was like the original Moscato. Boone's Farm was the Do you remember the the first drink you ever had? Because I do. Do you remember yours? It was probably Screwdriver. No, maybe not. I don't know. Girl, the first drink I ever had was Jose Cuervo Margarita out of the bottle, the pre-made bottle. I remember the guy who gave it to me. I remember what we did. (laughs) I remember everything. Um, But we don't don't need to get into that today. today. But I also remember when I realized that if you just pay the extra $2 or whatever it is to move like from the bottom, bottom, bottom shelf to like a quality vodka, that it really is better. And I never understood why people with any amount of resources wouldn't just pay the extra dollar to like not be drinking like this literally rubbing alcohol that they're calling vodka. It's because you have a particular goal in which is intoxication. It doesn't matter if your head is hurting (laughs) the next day, you have a goal. And I think too, like, 
Yeah, because I know when I was was coming up and and having those early cocktails, I was never like, oh, let me go to the next level. I was like, no, let me give, let me what's under the bar because I'm cheap. Um, I know we need to move on to the to the brunch ones, but I want to know: Do you have a good recipe for rum punch? Because I feel like you would. Not sharing that. What? So you know, my mother makes the rum punch um, ooh, every year, uh, usually around the holidays, and she makes it. We bottle it. Um, may or may not sell it. Y'all not gonna get my mother arrested today. Um, and so it has been a staple in our family, in our in our lineage for a long time. So the rum punch that my mother makes is amazing and. Um, potent but you won't give the recipe no okay will will you tell me what liquors you use liquor because that's not the recipe oh my god rum today we are (laughs) i am not again y'all are not gonna have um my mama beat me even though i'm grown i cannot give away her things so there's rum in it all right let's move to brunch cocktails do you have a go-to brunch cocktail and please don't tell me that you don't do brunch because we will we we will end this podcast right there um usually some type of mimosa um I like so like if I'm doing brunch at home or even out I want to do a mimosa with something other than orange juice or like an orange mango type of situation or orange peach, something with just a little bit of extra flavor, but I'm good um, with, yeah, I'm good with a mimosa. And again, I am fine with rum punch. Rum punch really is all year round, all day. You know, because I have sensitive skin, (laughs) I can't consume citrus. And so I try to avoid the grapefruits and the orange juices because they break me out. Even though I do enjoy the mimosas, I usually don't have those. So I might just do straight up Prosecco. Or really for brunch, what I really prefer is the Baileys and coffee because it's so good. And when I really want to do it up, an Irish coffee. Oh, that will just set your soul on fire because it combines both the coffee and the liquor, which Mm -hmm. I think is perfect for brunch. I love, 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 love Baileys and my coffee. That may or may not have been how I have survived. (laughs) working from home in the past year and so right now in my fridge I have the red velvet cupcake baileys and it's a limited edition from um they partnered with Georgetown cupcake I think so it's a red velvet and I usually don't do like the little flavored baileys thing but I was like you know let me try something a little different uh delightful but I love baileys or just rum cream Jamaican rum creams in my coffee mm. Again, survival mode. And then last but not least, what is your recommendation slash recipe, which you won't share for a date night slash gentleman caller? Maybe you'll do the date night and I'll do the gentleman caller. Oh, he will he will kill me for a second for talking about this. But one time in my early courtship, whew, I thought I was, again, doing something or mid-20s, late-20s with box wine. <laughs> And boxed wine, first of all, I believe that boxed wine is, it never ends. 
like you that box of wine never finishes like you tilt it to the when you think it's done tilt that baby to the side there is still at least a glass and a half in there and so when uh, we were first dating I would have again thought I was classy and I would have box sangria in my (laughs) my fridge and and he will tell you he won't tell you but there was one night of just shenanigans when I had a little too much box wine um box sangria at that so I will probably say that date night now that we're (laughs) grown-ups um still usually consists I I do I really do like sangria so sangria is probably I would probably say my date night my date night beverage (laughs) It's going to take, Bianca, it's going to take every bit of self-control I have not to use box wine as the artwork for this episode, because that, to me, is hilarious. Box wine is box everything. Wine. It's such an era. It's such a thought. It's such a... <laughs> and I don't know when, the, again, I'm a grown-up now, so I couldn't tell you when's the last time I've had, like, boxed wine, but don't sleep on it. Box wine will get you through. And then cut that box open and wring that plastic bag out. Shit. Keep it going. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So for gentlemen callers, you know, you really want something that's just going to be like a shot, ideally. And so I might, this is where I do a high quality bourbon or whiskey or tequila where you can just shake it, chill it and swallow it in one swallow and get on to doing whatever you want to be doing, whether it's watching a movie or whatever else. And so in my experience, You know, there's not a whole lot of drinking going on beyond, you know, just getting the the inhibitions lowered. Yeah. So really that's where we go with shots. And then shots are like the top shelf for me, tequilas and bourbons. And my favorite bourbon right now is something called Widow Jane. It's aged 10 years. It is so good, Bianca. I don't know. You don't really, do you drink bourbon? No, um, I haven't gotten into it. I, I want to say it's a bourbon. Don't misquote me. What's it called? Bullet? Yes, that's my that's my other bourbon that I drink. I only have two on the bar right now. It's Widow Jane and and Bullet. He is is loving Bullet. So that Bullet, he's been drinking it with ginger ale. I think I don't know. Oh my god, Cliff and I could drink together because that's exactly what I drink. Yes. Now Bullet makes um, a bourbon and they make a um, like a whiskey that's that's not a bourbon and I'm 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 blanking on the actual name but um so but but the widow jane is just the is the classic bourbon now the 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 bullet is high quality but it's the price point is okay the widow jane costs almost $70 a bottle so like this is something you you want to share for like your good good friends <laughs> your good goodies good good <laughs> you're not giving this to just anybody who dollars Yes, ma'am. It's, but it's, it is very good. So mention to, mention to your husband, um, Widow Jane, and um, enjoy some of that with him. You might like it. Remember Grey Goose? Okay. Well, <laughs> again, when I was young and thought I was doing things. <laughs> you don't like, now, I don't mind Grey Goose, but I actually prefer Kettle One. Uh, um, yeah. But for some people, Grey Goose is like the top of the line. And a lot of my friends actually drink, um, oh, Oh crap, I can see it. I can't call the name. It has a gold top. Um, what's mm. that vodka? Anyway, it's neither one of those. It'll come to me later when we're talking about something else. Um, but why'd you why'd you mention Grey Goose? Because I remember when Grey Goose, it was another one of those in my early 20s, popular 
you go to the bar, somebody's drinking Grey Goose, they're doing things. I was also that girl that would keep bottles like as souvenirs, like just trash. I, oh my God. Again, I look back on young Bianca and I'm like, girl, <laughs> if you only knew. Oh, I remember now. It's Tito's. Have you ever? Oh heard of yes, vodka? I like. So Tito's. a lot of my friends, that's their go-to vodka is Tito's, but I actually prefer Kettle oh, One. Okay, I like it. All right. Well, as always, we should say drink responsibly. Please. But as as the seasons turn, get into a nice cocktail, and when you're regathering with your friends and family, you know, do that responsibly as well. So Bianca, we want to move now to all the feels. And this week we're going to talk about, uh, this is going to be a political conversation. So for those of you that shy away from politics, lean into this. Um, There's a lot going on with the government right now. We're going to talk about two issues. First is statehood for DC. And second is gun control and the violence we've seen taking place in our country in the last two weeks. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser um, testified before Congress this week, and she really laid out the case for why the District of Columbia should be a state. And um, as as most of our listeners know, I live in D.C. Um, Bianca lives in Maryland. Bianca, have you ever lived in D.C. proper? For a very brief time um, when I first got to the area, yeah. Okay. And Bianca and I both work in D.C. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of friends and and colleagues that live in D.C. D.C., um, along with Puerto Rico, I should say, are places where people pay taxes, Mm -hmm. a place where people um, do everything that uh, other folks in the states do, but they have no representation in the Congress, no senators. And then the representative that DC has can only participate on committees, but she gets no floor vote. So um, the, the, the representative is, is Eleanor Holmes Norton um, for DC. She's been our representative for quite some time, but she doesn't get a vote on the floor. She only gets a vote in committee. And so um, most people have been advocating that DC become a state for a long time. The opposition to it has nothing to do with the fact that, with the facts, it's a political opposition. So Republicans have argued that if DC becomes a state, that they're going to have two Democratic senators, meaning they're going to gain two seats in the Senate because DC is very Democratic. That's essentially the only argument they put forward as to why DC can't be a state. The problem with that is that there's plenty of small states that are rural and Republican that have two Republican senators, and that doesn't seem to be a problem. Mm -hmm. And so what the fuck? Why isn't D.C. a state? And why is this something that we even have to argue with people about? Exactly. And I think um, there's there's so much common sense (laughs) behind why DC should be a state. And although, um, like I said, although I've, I only lived in DC for a brief period of time, I, my husband is a DC native born, raised and flourished, um, his family, et cetera. So he, he definitely has his roots here. But I think it is, it baffles me, the lack of representation, as you mentioned, paying taxes, doing all of the things. Um, but I also think too, like, DC historically is 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 a black and brown city and so I honestly (laughs) like period and so I think if 
nothing else, it then heightens the the need to suppress the 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 votes, the power, the um, the voice of Black and Brown people that make that literally make up DC. Um, we looked it up. DC has more than seven hundred thousand residents. That is larger than the state of Wyoming and larger than the state of Vermont. And so when we when we talk about this. The, disenfranch- the disenfranchisement of so many people. It's literally more people than two other states that are already states. In the case of Wyoming, it is a very mm-hmm. rural, very conservative state. There will never be two Democratic senators from Wyoming. And it's perfectly fine. I mean, the people of Wyoming get to pick who they want to send to the Senate. So when people say, oh, DC can't be a state because it's going to forever be two Democratic senators, we have a number of examples where that's already the case in reverse. That is not a rationale for not making DC a state. The other thing is that people always say, well, the founding fathers didn't intend for DC to be a state. You know what? The founding fathers didn't intend for Bianca to have full rights as fucking human beings. (laughs) So get all the way off with Mm -hmm. that fucking bullshit. Like the founding fathers and what their intent was, we are so far removed from that, that that's not even, I don't even want to hear that that ridiculousness. This is a purely Mm -hmm. political thing. And I think that if, if we pay federal taxes, which we do, um, we should have a repre- we should have representation in the Congress. And it's it's embarrassing that we welcome foreign leaders to DC because this is where our government is. And we have to explain to them, oh yeah, people that live here don't get any representation in the Congress or in the Senate. That's as absurd. you mentioned that um I was just looking first of all, if to get all of the things uh, statehood.dc.gov because the they lay it out perfectly. But one of the things, as you mentioned, the taxes, DC residents pay the highest per capita federal income tax in the US. And they pay more in total federal income tax than residents of 22 other states, but have no say over how tax dollars are spent. Like just mess that that alone like yeah yeah one last thing i'll say about this um during the insurrection Mm -hmm. on january the 6th dc not being a state actually was a barrier to our mayor because she was not able to activate the national guard without having it be approved by either the government or one of the states so if dc were a state she'd have the ability to declare emergencies just like governors and be able to respond faster to emergencies and to disasters and so there really is a life and death um calculus that's placed on this and one of the reasons there were many reasons one of the reasons why that insurrection happened is because the person that should be our governor wasn't given the the legal authority to move quickly so we Mm -hmm. had to in in effect wait for governor hogan of maryland to send in the national guard um, when that broke out we should have a governor ourselves that has that has jurisdiction over dc to make those critical decisions when they need to be made What do you think it's going to, so two questions, you know, I love a two-parter. One, what do you think it's going to take? (sighs) What do you think it's going to take for for statehood to happen? And two, how do you think that will change? um, How do you think that that will change D.C.? Well, I don't think that the Republican Party in its current iteration has any interest in 
compromise are working with the Democrats. And so we just can't really depend on them. I think it's going to take the, the Democrats having either a supermajority or a significant majority and then getting rid of the filibuster and doing what they need to do on their own. Because I just don't know that Republicans are going to ever come around on this. It's obvious that they don't see any political advantage to doing it. And in their minds, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think, you know, in terms of the filibuster, you know, it just means that uh, without 60 votes in the Senate, you can't really do very much. Um, that's a rule that can be changed by the majority. So the Democrats could change the filibuster right now, but there's some members within the Democratic Party who don't want to do it because they're afraid that when they're in the minority, you know, at some point in the future, that the Republicans would be able to just run roughshod over them and pass whatever they wanted to pass. Mm -hmm. I say, I look at it this way. If whether you have a filibuster or not, we have a majority, the Republicans aren't, aren't cooperating on anything. So like, why are we keeping this filibuster in when they're not being true partners in governing? So we should just do what we need to do to govern while we can, as opposed to holding on to something that we can rely on when we're no longer in power. I think when you are in power, you do what you can do and what you were elected to do. And you worry about being out of power when you're out of power. Agreed. Agreed. The other part of our government is broken section mm. that we want to talk about this week, Bianca, is really tragic. And when we think about all the feels, I'm just sad and disillusioned because these mass shootings that continue to happen and the lack of gun control measures that our government is taking, it's just, it's, it's absurd. No other country in the world experiences mass shootings the way that we do. And the only reason is, is because we refuse to do anything meaningful in terms of gun control. So in just the last two weeks, there was a hate crime against the Asian community in mm -hmm. Atlanta. And then there was a mass shooting in a grocery store in Colorado. And I believe that eight people were killed in Atlanta. And oh, yeah. Sorry. Eight. Mm -hmm eight in Atlanta, and then 10 in Boulder mm -hmm. um, at the grocery store shooting. Um, and in both cases, I believe, I statement, that um, background checks, restrictions on high-capacity magazines, restrictions on who can purchase guns and when may have helped to curtail some of this gun violence. So before we get into the gun aspect, I just wanted to get your take, Bianca, on the hate crime in Atlanta, and I'm referring to it as a hate crime. As it is. And then the mass shooting in Boulder it's exhausting like I think all of this is exhausting I was looking um just looking up information before we started and there have been 104 mass shootings in 2021 we are only at the <laughs> end of March and so it is it is exhausting that we cannot go to the grocery store, go to work, our places of worship, live um, without this, without this fear of, and, and it just seems like now, but at the same time, with 104 mass shootings already this year, why aren't we hearing and seeing more about, about what's going on like, I feel like at a lot of times we prefer to keep our head in the sand as if this is not an issue. If this is as this, 
as if this is not an epidemic in this country. I think, Bianca, that it's we're desensitized. Yes. So when something happens so frequently and and it just keeps happening, keep happening, then it loses its effect. I mean, we've had cases where 50 and 40 and 50 people. Do you remember the Las Vegas shooting? I think it was almost yeah, 50 yeah. people died. So when you when you mm-hmm. live through that and then nothing happened. So then when eight people die, you think about one loss, in my opinion, one loss of life mm-hmm. is too many. But once 50 people have died and nothing happened, then in the mind, when it happens to eight people, you're like, oh, well, you know, you just kind of become desensitized to it. And I think that's what has happened to us is that we can no longer even feel um, the effects of this because it happens so frequently and the scales are so large that we no longer can even recognize what what we're in. It's like we're in the middle of this storm, but we've been in the middle of it for so long that we no longer can feel the wind. You had put me on to Today Explained, the podcast for Vox, which is great. And their most recent issue um, episode this week was about about gun control, about the the gun violence. Um, I would encourage anybody to listen to it because it was very good. Um, But they had an author on there, Patrick. His last name escapes me, but he's writing a book about um, the lack of gun control in America, essentially. Um, And one of the things that he brought up was that this is always going to be an issue. And we also knew that nothing was ever going to happen after Sandy Hook, when 20 children, when 20 children um, are murdered and still we are carrying on business as usual. That says a lot. That says a lot about our priorities. That says a lot about um, the value or lack thereof that we're putting on people's lives. Um, And just what does that, what does that mean for us as a society and I think you put it perfectly when you said we're desensitized because it's 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 literally every day at this point I think we just we at the same time we pick and choose who you know gets national recognition or or a ribbon or a hashtag when in fact this is issues across our country that are literally happening every day and increasingly so um, in the midst of a pandemic. You know, I'll tell you when I knew that we were never going to do anything about guns and, and it actually, it wasn't Sandy Hook. It was the congressional softball game. So there was a mass shooting or at a softball game where the members of Congress were there. And um, Scalise, I forget his first name, he's Congressman Scalise from a Republican from Louisiana, my home state, was seriously wounded and almost died. He did recover. He's now in the leadership. I think he's the minority whip, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I knew when, when they didn't do anything after that that's when I knew that they were never going to do anything. When someone comes to your mm. own event and mm-hmm. shoots you up and, and you still won't take the, the power that you have to pass laws to prevent it, that's how you know that they're never going to do anything about it. Because even when they themselves were shot up, they still did But we saw nothing. that too after the, the, after the insurrection and the, the impeachment hearings when exactly. folks were still just mess yeah yeah and here we are and another another amazing point from today explained um the author was also talking about how important it is to put 
um, what it looks like if you you value people. So therefore you are valuing mental health services, you're valuing education, you're putting resources into communities. One of the things that he mentioned that didn't even dawn on me is that um, a lot of the, the shootings specific, specifically in like urban areas, et cetera, um, end up being fatalities when they really don't have to. But part of the reason is because they don't have hospital infrastructures in these communities to save people's lives. So then you have more people dying from gun violence because they don't even have hospitals and, and services in communities that that need them because again we're talking about what who you value and who you don't throw and it since away. and since this is the unapolog unapologetic podcast that tells you how to know feel and do to live your best life let's just pull the bandaid off and point out that the vast majority of mass shootings in america are done by white let's men be clear who are apprehended alive bianca alive I can't tell you how many times some white man has gone into mm -hmm. a church, into a grocery store, into a bowling alley, into a movie theater, mm -hmm. shot it up, and then was and then was let out alive. Unharmed, Unharmed and taken to Burger King to get treats. <laughs> this is outrageous because if you and I went to shoot up somewhere, or if you and I, you know, ran into the Capitol claiming we were gonna do whatever we wanted to do, you, you can rest assured that we would be dead. We don't even have to do that. We are just sleeping in our beds. So, let you know, there's, there's no, again, when we talk about what people value and don't and who they value and don't, there are no, there's no value on, on black and brown bodies. Like it's, it's just clear. And so, ugh, so, so many, <laughs> you're not going to be raising on my bro, my blood pressure today, Webster, because it is just. <laughs> It's just do you much. Think, do you think the Second Amendment should be repealed? What, okay, so again, I am going to continue to talk about this episode because it was really good on Fox, but they were just talking about how it was, you know, originally about militia, right? And so, um, and it wasn't until, I think he said until like the 1960s when, you know, folks were really starting to wave around the Second Amendment for their own, like, personal gun rights, et cetera. Um, but there is... So I am I am unapologetically an anti-gun person anyway. They do not... I would, I, they do not make me feel safe. The, the, the concept doesn't... I, I've seen... Um, personally, the effects of gun violence, um, my kids will not, they do not, will not play with them. So I think it should be repealed, but <laughs> there are a lot of people who, who feel otherwise, but at the same time, they, when I think of like the NRA and, and just this fight for their right to own guns, it's not, um, it's not for black people to own guns. This Let's goes back, right, exactly. To me, this goes back to the founding of the country and thinking about the way that America was when the constitution was originally written and the way that America is now. And I don't know that um, the constitution was really written for today's society when we think not about at guns. All. And so again, Think about every other modern society and how they regulate guns and how it's different from America and how their gun violence is next to nothing. And so 
what is more important? Someone's legal right to have a gun or someone's legal right to live and not be shot up in the grocery store or in the movie theater or in the salon where they work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't understand why why the Second Amendment, why Second Amendment rights are far are seemingly outweigh your right to be alive and to live peacefully um, and go about your way. Mm-hmm. Like that, like we've like that's out of balance in my view. And so when I say repeal the Second Amendment, it doesn't mean that you can't have a gun, but it means that we we remove this expectation that you can you have a quote unquote right to have to bear arms at all costs and without any regulation. I don't know that. To me, the right to bear arms should be a privilege, not a right. To me, mm-hmm. voting is a right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that having a gun is a right. I think that's a privilege. And I think we need to flip the way that we think about gun ownership and make it a privilege in our society and not a right. And the first step to doing that is repealing the Second Amendment. Amen. Literally, dro- literally drop the mic. I was going to tip this mic over, but then... I <laughs> And, you know, I mean, the last thing I'll say, Bianca, I feel like progressive folks are afraid to make that argument because mm-hmm. they're afraid of the pushback because the conservatives always say, you see, we can't agree to gun uh, gun control because all they're trying to do is take away guns and repeal the Second Amendment. And to me, I'm not afraid to make that argument because to me, repealing the Second Amendment is not just about, it's not about saying you can't have a gun. It's about saying that you don't have a right to have a hundred guns if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, just because you want to have a rifle attached to your hip while you walk through the grocery store doesn't mean that you should. Like, and that's just absurd. That is a that is absurd in a 21st century society. When I I was in Mississippi like two years ago now, I think. Um, and that's where I was seeing, I, I had never been anywhere where I had seen so many signs that was like, your guns are not permitted here or guns are not permitted in this building. And then I'm like, but I can go to McDonald's with it? Like, <laughs> why? <laughs> it was just like government buildings, no. Uh, the grocery store or McDonald's, sure, why not? Like, I am, am amazed with our, but I'm also amazed with our obsession with guns. It is an obsession. It's an obsession and an unhealthy one. You know, there's yeah. play, there, are multi, there are many states in the South where you can go to a bar with an open carry weapon attached to your hip. Now, Bianca, what sane person would want firearms in a bar where people are getting drunk? Like what, what good can possibly come of this? Literally drinking your bullet and dodging bullets. No, like, it's just, it's absurd. Like to me, that's a, that's, that's a no brainer that like, if you're, if you're getting intoxicated or if you're in a place where other people are, that this is not an environment for guns because, <laughs> because even if you, even if you know how to operate it, if you're impaired, you can't operate it correctly. You might, any number of things go wrong. So the fact that we even have to explain to people why that should not be allowed to me is crazy. And, and I don't know if the whole thing's crazy to me. But on the flip side, again, when we're seeing the more publicized mass shootings, they are not in bars, right? They are in places where people are going every day, going about going about their days. And so it, it there so much more needs to be done. And I think this is always going to be one of those issues where um, folks are going to feel very differently. But at the end of the day, we do not value human lives over guns. We just don't. 
we don't. And the last thing I'll just, the last point I'll make on this is, you know, when you and I, when you and I were going to school growing up, there were fire drills. And so they, they would, they would send off the alarm a few times a year and you would practice what you weren't, were going to do in the drill. Your children will grow up with active shooter drills to teach them what to do mm-hmm. if someone comes down the hall and starts shooting it up. Mm-hmm. And Bianca, <laughs> that is so sad. Yep. Absolutely. I was in high school when Columbine happened and we, and I remember when we were having these, um, every like homeroom or whatever, we were having conversations just to talk about and to process. And, and I was like, I think it was that moment when I was like, that is real shit. And, and, and now when we think about since Columbine, how many school shootings have happened since, like it's, it's unbelievable. But again, I was in high school over 20 years ago. Nothing was done. <laughs> Nothing was done after Columbine. And it we we need to uh we need to spin this cuz again, you're raising on my blood pressure. We have to end on a positive note. <laughs> I you know, I love positive notes. I just don't know if we have one for this. Fair. Fair. Do better people do better and vote there we go and vote for people that will do better um forgive us for not having the names of the souls that were lost in atlanta and boulder Mm. but we will uplift them on our social media accounts this week once this episode is published all right so let's switch gears bianca on a much much lighter note in gotta do we are introducing the ward and webster book club I am so excited about this. So let's be clear. This was your fancy idea. <laughs> um, so what made you say, we need a book club? I didn't even know you read. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I've always wanted to do a book club, but I've never really had the forum to do it or an opportunity or the right. It never felt right. And this feels like a great book club for a number of reasons. I feel like there's a lot of books that you and I might Mm -hmm. want to recommend and read together and with our viewers. So that was the first thing, because I felt like you'd be a good person to kind of talk about the books with. But also, I think it would be a great way to engage our listeners because they're going to read with us. And then we can have a conversation with them. They can send in questions. They can send in their thoughts about the books. We can share them. Like, I felt like it was an opportunity to engage with the, the listeners of the pod. In fact, the first selection was recommended by a listener, by one of our listeners. So the book was recommended by Angela, a friend oh, of the pod. Yeah. Hey, Angela. Thank you. Angela, we love you. And I took your recommendation. And so there you go. And she's somewhere grinning. I know she's <laughs> grinning listening to this. <laughs> so the first select, okay, so this is the way the book club's going to work. At the end of each month, Bianca and I will announce the book for the following month. So today we're going to reveal the book for April. And then you'll have the whole month of April to read the book. And then in the last episode of each month, we will share our thoughts on the book. It'll be kind of like a discussion slash review of the book. So that's the way that it's going to work. We're going to pick titles that you can find on on both audio versions and a hard copy version. And Bianca, the first book you've already read. So I you're am like a step ahead so of all excited. Of us. <laughs> But I will, it's so good that I will read it again. 
So for April 2021, our selection is All Boys Aren't Blue, and it's by author George M. Johnson. And so let me just tell you a little bit about George. He is a journalist, an author, and an activist. He has written for major and for niche media outlets such as Teen Vogue, Entertainment Tonight, NBC, The Root, Ebony, uh, and The Griot. And he is a... Um, how would we describe him as, um, he's African-American. He, I think he describes himself as non-binary, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he is a fairly good kind of, uh, I don't know, since you've read the book, and I think you may know a little bit more about George than me, how would you describe Delightful. him? He <laughs> is, so I had the privilege of working with George in the past um, before the books. Uh, but when he was doing more um, kind of freelance, but um, also writing for The Root and Ebony and a few other um, publications. And when I, and I'm, and I will admit, I am, I was late to the party in reading this book because I, I didn't read, hold on, uh, to be clear, I do not read, I only listen. And we'll talk about that <laughs> another day. I love audiobooks. There's something about somebody reading a story in my ear that, I don't know, maybe takes me back to childhood. But I am more likely to listen to a book than to actually pick up a hard copy and read. So I, I listen to All Boys Aren't Blue. George uh, reads the book because not everybody reads their own books. Um, and it was, I think it made it even more even more powerful, um, his his story, uh, the the life journey. It is really incredible. But I think what I appreciate about um, this book, his memoir, is that he is really bearing his soul in it in a way that is relatable. I remember sending him um, some text messages as I was listening, and I was like, "Oh, I remember that too." And and thank you for writing about such and such, and just just seeing my even seeing myself in the story. And I think that that's how folks are able to um, able to connect. Uh, amazing. He is. You think there's really any talented. Chance? Any chance you can get him to come on in April when we discuss? I the don't book? know. He's I would like, love it. he's like a superstar now. I think the book is going to be. I mean, become, so are you, Bianca? I mean, just in smaller circles. Um, <laughs> I think the book is become going to become a a TV series. I think he's working with Gabrielle mm -hmm. Union to do it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, um, he has another book coming out. So also just giving his flower, giving him his flowers because this book has really been life changing for so many people, um, and just appreciating his his transparency, his honesty, his vulnerability, um, and putting a lot of things out there um, in a time where when we need, I am excited. I am excited to read slash listen to this again. So this book came out a year ago. It came out in April of 2020. So it's a year old, um, but I haven't read it. And so we're going to recommend this as our first book. And again, it's called All Boys Aren't Blue. It's a memoir manifesto. Just a little bit about the book. In a series of personal essays, prominent journalists and LGBTQIA plus activists, George M. Johnson explores his childhood, adolescence, and college years in New Jersey and Virginia. From the memories of getting his teeth kicked out by bullies at age five, to flea marketing with his loving grandmother, to his first sexual relationships, this young adult memoir weaves together the trials and triumphs 
faced by black queer boys. That is the description that George uh, includes about his book. And we are so excited, um, me to read it and Bianca to reread it. And so we will place a link to where you can grab a copy of All Boys Aren't Blue, read along with us in April, and then we will be discussing and reviewing the book at the end of the month. And then each month, we're going to have a different title that we're going to select. Now, Bianca. <clears throat> We should tell our listeners that the book club will feature serious, silly, and fun selections. And we, we, I had had another book selected for this, but we thought it was too serious. Not that George's book is, is unserious, but that we wanted to have a different tone. Mm -hmm. And so we, I do want to say upfront uh, for people that are going to be in the book club with us. Some months it might be a trashy romance novel. Yes. Some months it might be something really, you know, significant. Mm -hmm. um, so we're gonna do a mix and mash. And and Bianca, I'm gonna let you just explain the difference between silly and fun because you do it so well. Do I? Silly and fun? <laughs> um, I don't, why would you even say that and set me up? <laughs> You're so you don't remember our first episode, the second episode. I, I don't remember if it was episode one or two, where we asked we were each doing other the three, three questions. questions. And you were like, but what's the difference between silly and fun? I was like, but there is a difference. And so that was the joke. And you didn't even get it. So you forget <laughs> the episodes we've already done. I mean, we are five episodes in. I'm excited that we've made it this far. Um, but I will say, I have read I think some silly books that I may have read and or listened to in the past, like, I'm just like, uh, this is just something for, mm, I take that back. Somebody described it to me. So, um, like fall last summer, I was reading a lot of just heavy books back to back, just, just heavy. And I had a Instagram post or something like, I need something light. Um, and somebody had sent me just a list of different books that, they thought I would enjoy and she she described it as mental popcorn and I was like yes mental popcorn because sometimes like no real nutritional value but enjoyable nonetheless and so I think for me my silly books I, lo I love to read um books by I love to read books by comedians again I listen to them so hearing comedians telling their life story or reading their book is always hilarious to me um so those are fun yet the mental popcorn so they're not super serious um just depending on on what book so for me something silly is something that I can just listen to um and don't have to really focus one. I think you I think you got it. So an example for me would be once I was um I was going to Spain for vacation and one of my friends gave me this book it's like speaking Spanish when you want to flirt and the whole book and it was a very like 100 pages about this is what you say when you want to flirt in Spanish. <laughs> and so gives you all these phrases and things to say. So that's an example of a silly book like, you know, whatever. So we we're going to be hitting it from all angles and and we'll see um, how we're going to do with the book club, but we're very excited about it. At least I am. And I think Bianca is. I think so. I, yeah, I think so. This will be my first. And now that I think about it, I think this will be my first book club ever. Like I, I have read books that my friends have read and maybe not at the same time, but like, we'll talk about it or whatever. But 
this is like my first structured thing. So I am just hoping that I get through the book in a month so that I can come back and actually have something to contribute. Um, yeah, that's it. We made it. Yeah, we made it through an episode that, <laughs> wow, we really went zigzags. All over so we the started place. Out with, <laughs> we started with drinking, then we went to mass shootings, and then we ended up with a book club. So this was a very amalgamation of, of issues episode. Just all, just scattered all over the place, literally booze, guns, and books. <laughs> but I appreciate folks. <laughs> um you know for hanging in there because I'm I'm sure people will listen halfway through and they're like oh where are we going with this um and then end on a on a fun witty notes and go pick up their copy of all boys aren't blue yeah and one piece of housekeeping uh, from last week so when we re-edited our episode with Rosie from last week and we realized that we never thanked her within mm. the podcast for being on. Mm -hmm. So you may have noticed we put in a little transition music from her section to the final segment. So um, we wanted to formally yes. thank Rosie Galvan for being on the podcast. And we want to remind you all that we're still amateurs at this. And so Fresh. sometimes we <laughs> fall down on the basic, basic stuff like thanking our guests. Just no manners. How do we? <laughs> Rude. Just Rude. So again, Rosie, <laughs> if you are listening, and I hope you are, thank you for blessing us and being our first guest and sharing your light and your talent. Um, her website is in the link tree in the bio on Instagram. So everybody be sure to check her out and also pick up her dope coloring book. So yes, thank you, Rosie. And we are, we are still learning. So if folks have um, critiques, um, keep them to yourself no i'm kidding come back if we we're 20 if we're 20 episodes in and we're still a mess okay then you can tell us but we are uh we still have the training loads on but i'm i'm excited as we grow and um oh social media right are yes. you going to do the plug on that yes yes um so again be sure to follow us on the things um the twitters the instagrams i'm always going to say it like that um at warden webster um slide into our dms what you want us to know feel and do also if you have any book club um suggestions if you've read something great that you think would make um an excellent book for us to discuss or if you know ooh, i'm gonna take it a step further um maybe if you're an author and you have a great yes. book and you are right and you want us to read discuss and maybe have you on so we can chit chat about it um let us know we are we are eager to um hear and read and expand our minds if you will but again my preference is going to be audio so if you're booking on audio i don't know anywho uh, <laughs> again we are at ward and webster on twitter and instagram and wardenwebster.com we have a new episode every saturday we are on so many platforms i can't keep up oh so uh, many i think six or seven at this point. just google it <laughs> or again or you can just go to wardenwebster.com and start there all of the new episodes are and there and one mm -hmm. more plug before we sign off. So next week is my birthday weekend. And I heard, Bianca, that you were planning a special episode next I'm gonna, just for me. I'm, so I'm going to do a little This Is Your Life and bring on, like, oh your elementary school crush. 
I could. I've waited so long to turn thirty-five. I'm so no, excited about next weekend. Where? 30, <laughs> 35, 30. Okay, we're. That's where we're. <laughs> that's how old we're going to be on on today. Okay. I, ha- I have a lot to say about age, but I'm going to hold it until next week. <laughs> I am excited and looking forward to celebrating with you. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. I am Bianca Ward. I'm Isaiah Webster. We appreciate you. See you again next week.